Good afternoon. I have the privilege of preaching to you in a way perhaps similar to uh, the way that Todd preached to us this morning in that um, I'm going to give you things that are reminders. Think these are not things that are going to be new uh, probably to any of you, just some what I hope are some encouraging reminders with regards to not so much David's duties to the congregation, but the congregation's duty to David as well as to your other ministers. Uh, I'm preaching to you uh, primarily from the book of Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17. This is the main text that will hold uh, this message together. Hebrews 13 and verse 17 says... Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls, as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Now let me establish a context for this command, for without the proper context, this command, as you hear it there, might seem to you to be onerous. It might seem to you to be uh, wearisome. It might seem to you to to even be unsafe for you to obey that command, to obey those who rule over you and to be submissive and to let them do their work with joy and not with grief. And the context has been established already for us today. In Jeremiah 23, the prophet there is lamenting the wickedness of the false prophets and the unfaithful priests as well as the wicked kings uh, of his time. In Jeremiah 23, Jeremiah says, my heart within me is broken because of the prophets. All my bones shake. I am like a drunken man and like a man whom wine has overcome because of the Lord and because of his holy words. For the land is full of adulterers. For because of a curse, the land mourns. The pleasant places of the wilderness are dried up. Their course of life is evil, and their might is not right. For both prophet and priest are profane. Yes, in my house I have found their wickedness, says the Lord. And that's the context in which the Lord speaks through Jeremiah and gives the prophecy that we considered already earlier today. It's this prophecy... Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, God of Israel, against the shepherds who feed my people, you have scattered my flock, driven them away, and not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for the evil of your doings, says the Lord. But I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries, where I have driven them, and bring them back to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, nor shall they be lacking, says the Lord. And then the prophecy says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness, a king shall reign and prosper. 
and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. So in the context that I'm wanting you to consider when you think about Hebrews 13, 17, the context is that the land in the time of Jeremiah was filled with false prophets. It was filled with wicked priests. But the Lord had not forgotten his covenant. He had promised to Abraham a son. He had promised to Abraham a nation of glory, a nation of honor. He had made a covenant with David that a son would come from David, a son who would occupy his throne in righteousness, a son who would build a house where God would dwell. But the history of this nation had been a history of dishonor with a few exceptions. The line of rulers and kings that had descended from Abraham had been a line of wickedness with a few exceptions. Their rulers and guides which God had placed for the care of the people had neglected their responsibility and the sheep had been abused. Sheep had been scattered. Now that's a fearful thing to consider in light of the fact that God calls them the sheep of His pasture. And they had been abused and scattered. So what will the Lord do? What is He? What is the prophecy? Will, will the Lord just do away with kings? No, He won't do that. Will He just do away with shepherds? He won't do that either. What the Lord God is going to do is He's going to send a king. He will come from the line of, of David. He will be a branch of righteousness that will spring forth from David. And this promised king will reign and he will prosper. His name is righteous. His name is our righteousness. What a, what a change from the old kings. But how will this king speak? How will this king exercise his rule among his people so that there is this prospering? Well, one of the ways that the king will do this One of the ways he will reign is that he will reign by setting up shepherds who will feed his people. And these new shepherds will work so that the flock fears no more. And they will work so that the flock is not dismayed and so that the flock is not scattered. It's it's by this remedy that the Lord will remove this old covenant issue of a scattered and lacking flock. A new king will rule. He will rule in righteousness. And one of the means by which he will rule his people is he will provide them shepherds who will feed them. The flock of this king, said Jeremiah, will be gathered out of all countries and they will be nourished by the attentive feeding of the new shepherds that this king will set up. And then we could go to many places. We could go to Ephesians 4, for example, that describes Christ as this victorious king who brings gifts for his people. And what does he give? What does he give? He gives shepherds. He gives shepherds. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. He gives ministers, just as the prophecy foretold. And these ministers, when they do their work of ministry, that is, feeding the sheep the word of this king... The church, the body of Christ, is gathered together. When they do their work, 
feeding the sheep, the word of this king. The flock is unified in the faith. The flock is gathered and unified in the knowledge of the Son of God. This flock is not scattered, but they are gathered and they are built up. When these guides are faithful to this king, the result is protection from the wolves that would scatter. And when these do their work, the result is that the flock is protected from the strange winds of doctrine that disturb and scatter and cause the flock to be afraid. The dismay is gone and the lack is replaced by growth and love. His flock is saved. His flock dwells safely under the proclamation and protection of his word, which has been lovingly, faithfully delivered by his shepherds. Now, take a, take a, take a, take a look at us. Look at us. We, we are the house that God promised to David. We are the holy temple built with living stones together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. We are the sheep who have heard the voice of our King by the preaching of His Word. That's who we are. We are, by His grace, the sheep of His pasture with multiple New Testament assurances that the prophecy of Jeremiah has been fulfilled in the church. Christ is our victorious King and He is ascended and He gives gifts for the edifying and the protection and the feeding of his flock, just as he promised he would. So you see, it's, it's this prophecy and fulfillment, it's this promise and provision that is the context. And it has to be the context in your mind when you read the command in Hebrews thirteen seventeen that has something to do with your obedience and submission to those who rule over you in the Lord. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. It's a very dangerous thing to forget the context of grace. You can imagine if a pastor, a shepherd, some minister of the Word of God, you can imagine if that man were to read this about the church member's duty of obedience and submission, to read it without the big context that the Lord is the king, and to read it without the context that the sheep are the king's sheep, well, you can imagine then that man being at a great risk of becoming a tyrant or becoming negligent, perhaps in the same ways that Jeremiah saw in his own day, forgetting who the sheep belonged to. That would be a very dangerous thing for a minister to forget the context of grace and the context of who these sheep belong to. But you can imagine also the danger if a church member reads this command of his or her own responsibilities, responsibilities to the minister while forgetting that the whole context is the ascended Savior's grace and gift and growth, and protection. If the church member forgets that that's the point of this, the protection of the flock, your protection, your growth, your safety, then you could be at risk of coming to a command like this and looking at it 
with some suspicion. Or you could be at risk at holding your minister's sermons at arm's length. You could be risk, at risk of viewing the pastoral ministry with a, with a jaded eye, with a, with a heart that is resistant to obedience and submission if you are forgetting the overall context of why we have shepherds in the church. So are you interested in offering the right kind of obedience and submission to the pastoral ministry? Well, you have to remember who it is who has provided shepherds for you. You have to remember who it is, and you have to remember why he's provided them for you. Who it is and why he has given them to you. It's a terrible mistake, a very terrible mistake for a professing Christian to convince himself that he has no need to humble himself and listen to his pastor preach the word. It's, it's deadly to consider the pastoral ministry with a dismissive heart because it's not the pastor who is ultimately being resisted. Viewing faithful and true pastoral ministry, which is primarily through the public preaching of the word, viewing it with a jaded eye, viewing it with an unrepented resistance to faithful pastoral authority, unrepented resistance to your biblical duties to the pastor, all all of this is according to Jeremiah, it is according to Paul, it's according to Peter, it's really a resistance against the Savior. It's really ultimately a resistance against the king who gives these shepherds for your good. The Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit uses faithful but ordinary ministers not to harm you, but to gather you, not to, not to scatter you, not to make you fearful, but to strengthen you, to gather you, to protect you. It's all for your good. It's a context of the goodness of the Lord and of His love for His people. That's the context that you have to remember the command of Hebrews thirteen seventeen When you See, your duty of obedience and submission to the ministers that God has given to you. This is from the Lord's goodness. It is your goodness, it is your good in mind that the Lord Lord has not to harm you, but to strengthen you, to help you to be fruitful in the faith. This This is why the Lord has given shepherds. Therefore, when you hear that command to obey those who rule over you and to be submissive, you can say, thank you, Lord, for my ministers. Thank you. So long ago, you promised, and you are bringing your promise to pass. You are faithful. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Lord, you are watching out for my soul. Thank you for those who preached the word to me. So it's only in the context of the Lord's grace, isn't it, that you'll really appreciate that command and understand it rightly. It's only in the context of the Lord's grace to you through your pastor's ministry that you will rightly understand and take up these duties that I'm going to list out. Now at this point, 
Um, I could, I suppose I could preach a very long sermon and say a great many things about the duties that you owe before the Lord to those who serve over you in the Lord, but I'm going to list just a few today, and these are just basic reminders. There are duties that you owe to your shepherds that they may do their work with joy over you instead of having to do their work with grief over you, a great many things. But let me offer to you just a few, and here's the first one. Pray for us. Pray for your shepherds. With thankfulness to the Lord for His gift of shepherds, pray for the ones He has provided for you. Brethren, pray for us, Paul said in his first letter to the Thessalonians. Brethren, pray for us. This is a duty that the Lord gives to you. It is your duty before the Lord to pray for the shepherds Christ has given. And you have lots of reasons to do so. Let me uh, remind you of some of them. To the Ephesians, Paul said, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me, Paul says, and for me, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. There is a reason for you to pray for your shepherds. They need boldness. They need boldness. Surely... Surely you don't suppose that you don't suppose it to be an easy task to work as a new covenant prophet. And no, I'm not talking about speaking by direct revelation from the Lord. I mean preaching the inscripturated word even when that word is a rebuke. You don't suppose that's an easy thing to do, do you? Preaching the word faithfully even when it's a a correction as we heard today. Reproofing even when that word is a confrontation, as it always will be with that root of corruption and then the particular fruits thereof. Chains, Paul mentions. There are chains, and they can be literal, and they can be figurative, that all faithful shepherds are called to bear. Those chains can be an occasion for shepherds to be tempted to lose their courage, And those chains can be occasions for shepherds to be tempted to soften the word in order to avoid all offense at all costs. Those chains can be the occasion for temptation for shepherds to not be faithful in preaching the whole counsel of God's word because they're trying to maybe lessen the heat of the persecution that comes because of it. These are temptations that your shepherds face. Paul says, pray for me that I may be bold. I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray for me that I may be bold. 
preach as I ought to preach. To the Colossians, Paul said, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the Word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Pray, pray for your shepherds. Paul was in chains because of his preaching. Paul was very well acquainted with what it meant to be persecuted and what it meant to be reviled and what it meant to be slandered. And from Paul's time to our own time, this world has not grown any more warm or any more welcoming to the preaching of God's Word. Shepherds, even, even your own, face particular kinds of persecution. Even your own shepherds face particular kinds of pressures and rejection because they are shepherds. Pray for us. Pray for David that he may be bold. Shepherds must faithfully preach the whole counsel of God's Word, and that is ever done with the possibility that some outside the church or even, sad to say, some in the church will resist that word and despise him who speaks it. So pray that we will be bold. Pray that we will not be cowardly no matter what. Pray for your shepherds so that they can preach to you the gospel. Pray that they will preach as they ought to preach. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul asks, who's sufficient for this? Who is sufficient for this task? And I can ask you the same question. Who among your pastors is, or, or of any who teach you the word, who is sufficient? Who, just, who among us here just happened to have the natural strength to preach the word as it deserves to be preached in a dark and dangerous world? Who is sufficient for this? In that context there in 2 Corinthians 2, Paul mentions that there were other preachers who were handling the Word of God for their own enrichment. He says they were peddling the Word of God. But faithful preachers need to be prayed for so that they will endure with boldness and sincerity, because the faithful preaching of God's Word is going to come at a cost. Who is sufficient for this? I suppose it's quite an easy thing to find ministers of God's Word who do it to enrich themselves. They preach it to avoid all cost. But that's not a faithful minister. That's not a sincere minister who handles the Word of God simply because he's peddling it. Who is sufficient for these things, Paul asks. Preaching costs a man. It costs a man much to be faithful in preaching the Word of God. So pray. Pray, pray for us that we would be bold and preach the Word as it deserves to be preached. In 2 Thessalonians 3, Paul says, Finally, brethren, pray for us 
that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. Not all have faith. You come face to face with that if you're a minister of God's word. Not all have faith. You come face to face with what it's like to, to, to hope that the people are praying that you will be delivered from wicked and unbelieving men. As a minister, David already knows that. He already knows what that is like. He will know of that more in his ministry. It just goes along with it. Pray. Pray for us. This is a duty that you owe This is a command from the Lord. You you owe this to the Lord to pray for your ministers. A lot of reasons. We need boldness. We need courage. John Owen lists out some reasons to pray for your shepherds. Listen to what he says. He says, The greatness of the work, for who is sufficient for it. The strength of the opposition to it its involvement in the fate of men's souls, the conviction with which it ought to be brought upon the world by it, its aim and tendency to the glory of God in Christ, he says, these all call out for the most effectual daily involvement of the saints in their supplications for its support. Consider, this is about... The souls of men, this is, this is a great work, Owen says. It has to be brought with conviction. Its aim and tendency is the glory of God in Christ. How can you not pray for its support? It needs your prayers. John Owen goes on to say this. He says, the rule requires that prayer be made for assistance, for encouragement, abilities, Success, deliverance, and protection. Brethren, brethren, do you desire that your, those who serve over you in the Lord, that they will be able to do this with joy and not with grief? Then pray for them. Pray for their assistance and their encouragement and their abilities and their success and their deliverance and protection. Owen says, as the temptations experienced by pastors increase, so must the prayers on their behalf. And then he says this, listen carefully. Owen says, There are many curses made against them. The hope is that God hears the prayers made for them. When many are not ashamed to revile them in public, some ought to be ashamed for not remembering them in private. Praying for your shepherds is to be done with a mindfulness of their need. They need help. They need boldness. They need courage. They need encouragement. They need ability. Pray. But before I leave this point, let me encourage you to also think of this, that that you're also praying with your own need in mind. These shepherds are looking out for your soul. As you pray for your shepherds, there's also your own need that you can have in mind. It is, 
it is for the benefit of your soul if your shepherds are successful. It is for the benefit of your soul if your shepherds are courageous and bold in proclaiming the whole counsel of God's Word. There's there's benefit for you. And here's another benefit. Philip Ryken mentions this. He says, the first thing is for the soul to be prepared, thinking about coming here and gathering together. He says, most churchgoers assume that the sermon starts when the pastor opens his mouth on Sunday. However, listening to a sermon actually starts the week before. It starts when we pray for the minister, asking God to bless the time he spends studying the Bible as he prepares to preach. And then Ryken adds this, In addition to helping the preacher, our prayers help create in us a sense of expectancy for the ministry of God's Word. He says this is one of the reasons that when it comes to preaching, congregations generally get what they pray for. I think a part of what he means by that is that the prayerless listener to the sermon comes with no prepared anticipation for the Word of God, and that kind of a person generally is going to suffer from not having the things that he didn't ask for, that he didn't ask for. You ever leave a Lord's Day meeting and you say to yourself, well, I didn't get anything out of that sermon. I think Riken would have you to ask yourself, well, what did you pray for? Did you pray for the minister? Did you pray that the Lord would deliver what you need through the preaching of the Word? That's a powerful statement that Riken makes that congregations generally get what they pray for when it comes to the ministry of that Word. So that's my first point. Pray. Pray for your shepherds. Many, many needs we have and there are needs that you have. Pray. Number two. Number two is attend the means of grace served by your shepherds to the congregation. Do you desire to obey this command? To offer your obedience and your submission for those who watch out for your souls so that they may perform their work with you and among you with joy instead of grief? Well, then attend. That's a great joy to your ministers to look out and to see to see that face that's turned up here and to see a countenance that at least to me would indicate thankfulness for the Word of God and a hunger for the Word of God. This is a great encouragement to those who serve the Word of God to you. Attend. When the Lord said, I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them, Is that not just a promise for the sheep, but isn't it, don't you hear a command in there for the sheep? If he's going to set up shepherds that will feed the sheep, ought not the sheep to be listening to that prophecy and say, I must be fed. I must be fed. If I am to be protected, I must must be fed if I am to be delivered from fear. I must offer my obedience and and my submission to this feeding of the word of my Savior, lest I be dismayed and lest I be weak. 
Attend. Attend the means of grace served by your shepherds to the congregation. Now, there's a little bit of a, a point here. I w- I'm going I'm to run the risk of overemphasizing it, but here we go. I have, over the years, encountered a few individuals. Um, and, and, and if you're in the ministry long enough, you've encount- you've en- you will encounter this. But I've encountered a few who have struggled to receive the ministry of the Word because, as they argued, the preaching of the Word's by men, after all. It's not by God. It's by men. And there was one particular man that I remember who seemed to believe that anything other than just reading the Scriptures or that any interpretation of the Scriptures was automatically sinfully tainted by the words of men and therefore not to be trusted. Because after all, it's the words of, it's the words of men. So, so argued. So argued. So it can't be really called the Word of God if it's coming from a man, right? I've met a few individuals over the years who have struggled receiving the preaching with this idea. But Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7... That the gospel treasure is delivered to us in what? Golden plates lowered from heaven? No, sorry. The gospel treasure is delivered in earthen vessels. Earthen vessels. At the risk of giving a quote that's too long, I'm going to give you a quote that's too long. And I'm going to let John Calvin help you to understand this the, the importance of earthen vessels and how to approach it. This is from his Institutes. Calvin says, Therefore, to teach us that the treasure offered to us in earthen vessels is of inestimable value. This is very valuable that we know this. God himself appears and as the author of this ordinance requires his presence to be recognized in his own institution. In other words, the institution that what God has instituted is the preaching of His Word by men. That's what God has instituted. And God requires that His presence to be recognized in the institution. Accordingly, after forbidding His people to give heed to familiar spirits, wizards, and other superstitions, Leviticus 19, He adds that He will give what ought to be sufficient for all, namely, that He will never leave them without prophets. For as he did not commit his ancient people to angels, but raised up teachers on the earth to perform a truly angelical office, so he is pleased to instruct us in the present day by human means. But as anciently, he did not confine himself to the law merely, but added priests as interpreters, from whose lips the people might inquire after his true meaning, So in the present day, he would not only have us to be attentive to reading, but has appointed masters to give us their assistance. Calvin continues, In this there is a twofold advantage. For on the one hand, he, that is the Lord, he by an admirable test proves our obedience when we listen to his ministers just as we would to himself. While, on the other hand, he consults our weakness in being pleased 
to address us after the manner of men by means of interpreters, that he may thus allure us to himself instead of driving us away by his thunder. That second point that Calvin is making there, that on the second hand, it's this is God is condescending to our weaknesses to speak to us through human interpreters rather than thundering directly to us. God is alluring us to himself instead of driving us away by his thunder. Calvin continues. Those, and this goes to, this is, this is, this is, um, this, is this response to those who distrust any human means of the delivery of the word of God. Calvin says, those who think that the authority of the doctrine is impaired by the insignificance of the men who are called to teach, they betray their ingratitude. For among the many noble endowments with which God has adorned the human race, one of the most remarkable is that he deigns, that is, he condescends to consecrate the mouths and tongues of men to his service, making his own voice to be heard in them. That's from Calvin's Institutes. Now let me follow this up very quickly. This point here in, if you're going to pray for your ministers, then attend, attend the means. Does this mean that you have a duty to offer a blind and implicit obedience to your shepherds? Is that what I'm getting at? Owen is helpful. He says, no, that's not at all. Owen says it is not a blind, implicit obedience and subjection that is here prescribed. We're referring to Hebrews 13, 17. It's not a blind, implicit obedience. Owen says, a pretense hereof hath been abused to the ruin of the souls of men. If you find a so-called minister who is demanding of you a blind and implicit faith in whatsoever he says, Owen says, that is to the ruin of the souls of men, not to their benefit. Owen goes on, it hath respect, this command, it hath respect unto them, the ministers, in their office only. If those who suppose themselves in office do teach and enjoin things that belong not unto their office, there is no obedience due to them by virtue of this command. And then he says, it is there, that is, it is the congregation's duty, so to obey while they, their ministers, Teach the things which the Lord Christ hath appointed them to teach, for unto them is their commission limited. Obey and submit, says Hebrews 13, 17. This is not with regards to anything that I might say. My commission as a shepherd unto this flock is limited to the things that Christ has commanded me to teach, and it can go no further. And this is, this is going to be held by all true, faithful, sincere ministers of God's Word. They will not breach that boundary and begin laying upon you commands that the Lord Himself has not laid upon you. But nevertheless, if it is the Word of Christ, it is to be heard. It is to be obeyed. It is to be submitted to You're to be listening to that as you would listen to Christ himself. 
Spurgeon, in a sermon preached on August 23, 1868, he said this, Not everything I say or that any minister says is God's word. Hence, you should take heed to separate between what is God's and what is ours. But wherein we speak according to Holy Scripture, it is as much God's word as if God himself spoke. Obey and submit when the Scriptures are preached to you. So to let your pastors serve you with joy and not with grief, it is to pray for them, especially for the Lord to bless them in their preaching, and it is to let your pastors serve with joy and not with grief when you obey and submit to the Word of Christ. What a great joy that brings to your ministers. Faithful, sincere shepherds are looking out for your soul. It is a deep grief to see a sheep who is resisting the word of Christ in some way. And it's it's true, isn't it, brother? We, We can struggle to take it personally, and we have to work hard not to do that. But it's really not a grief because we're trying to take it personally. It's a grief because we see the harm to the soul of that sheep. The faithful, sincere shepherd desires above above all else, desires for that sheep growth, desires for that sheep protection, desires for that sheep strength, desires for that sheep perseverance to the end. That's what a shepherd desires. That's what brings great joy to a shepherd's heart when he sees that. It's not this... It's not, it's not blind obedience. That's not what brings a shepherd's heart joy. Not a true shepherd, at least. The shepherd's heart is for that soul that's being preached to to be, to be drawn ever and ever nearer to the Lord. Faith and hope and love. Therefore, how important is it that your shepherds are blessed by the Lord with the assistance that they need? How important is that to pray for that? How important is it that your shepherds are blessed with encouragement? How important is it that they're blessed with abilities, success, deliverance, and protection to teach the things that Christ has commanded them to teach? And how important then is it, if it is Christ's word, how important is it to obey it and to submit to it? Prayerfulness for your shepherds, especially with regards to their preaching, it needs to be joined with attendance to their preaching in the assembly. If the gospel is delivered in jars of clay, then assemble where the jars of clay are so that you may be delivered the treasure. The scriptures don't allow for this so-called, quite popular, I suppose, but and the so-called independent disciple who professes to, to be in his heart before the throne of God, but remains unnecessarily absent from the congregation. When a shepherd exhorts you to be in all of the stated meetings of the church, this exhortation is not coming from a heart that fiendishly delights in inconveniencing you, but is coming from a heart that desires the well-being of your soul. That exhortation 
comes from men who are looking out for the well-being of your soul. Gospel belief, gospel confidence, that's to be married with gospel assembling. And why assemble together? Why do we gather in one place? It's because we draw near to the throne together in our assembly. We draw near to the Lord together in our believing hearts with our corporate attentive listening. We do this because it's in the public preaching of the church assembly. It's that moment which our Lord blesses with special promises of His presence. We gather into the preaching of the Scriptures by these jars of clay in order to hear Christ. To the Thessalonians, Paul said, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as as it is in truth, the word of God. Do you hear the delight of the shepherd's heart? For this reason, we thank God. We thank God without ceasing. Paul, why are this delight, this joy in your heart, this thankfulness to God in your heart. Paul, what has provoked this great joy? Paul would say, it's because I preached to the Thessalonians, a mere man. I preached to them a jar of clay. I preached to them the things that Christ taught me to say to them. And do you know what they did with it? They welcomed it. And they welcomed it not as a word of man, but they welcomed it as it is in truth. They welcomed it as the word of God. Pray and gather with us. Offer your obedience and submission to this word of Christ that is preached to you. Oh, what great joy this is to your ministers. A grieved minister of the Word of God is likely to be discouraged and he's likely to be less effective in the preaching of the Word of God, which would be of no benefit to you, or at least of less benefit to you. Pray for him and attend to his preaching in the assembly. Do you profess faith in the Savior? Then be where the Savior promises to be. Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Do you profess faith in Christ? Do you profess faith in His Word? Then be where Christ promises to be, delivering His Word to His people. John, on the island of Patmos, he heard a voice behind him as loud, like a loud trumpet The voice said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches. uh, John says that he turned to see the voice that spoke. John says, and having turned, I saw... What did he see at first? He didn't see the one speaking at first. The first thing he sees is the seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man clothed with a garment down to his feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool and white as snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. 
His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and His voice as the sound of many waters. And He had in His right hand seven stars. And out of His mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and His countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Do you know who the seven stars are held in His hand? His ministers. The pastors of those churches. And where was Christ standing? In his congregations. That's where he's standing. The seven stars of the angels of the seven churches, the messengers, the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. The seven stars are the angels, and the seven lampstands are those seven congregations. Do you profess faith in Christ? And do you profess your need to hear His Word? Then pray that it would be delivered to you and be where it will be delivered to you. Third and finally, hold your shepherds with high esteem. Hold your shepherds with high esteem. This is a part of this whole package, which is this offering of your obedience and submission ultimately to the Lord. This obedience and submission offered to the Lord through your response to the preaching that your ministers give to you, through your response to the guidance that they give to you. But also this, hold, hold your shepherds in high esteem, that they may rule over you in the Lord with joy and not with grief. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul says, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. So my third exhortation to you, And this is a duty that is upon you from the Lord, is when it comes to the shepherds that He has provided for you, love them and be thankful for them and appreciate them for the sake of the labor that they do for you. And what is their labor? They're laboring for the safety and the strengthening of your soul. They are angels. They are messengers. They are stars. They are lights given by Christ to be lights in the darkness. Christ holds them in His hand, which is not only a sign of His authority over them, He holds them in His hand for the sake of giving them to the churches as His gift, to be for those churches His word-bearers, to be for those churches His guides, to be for those churches lights. Your pastor's job is to prepare and preach biblical soul-nourishing sermons. Other teachers that we have here that, you, that, are, that preach to you, it is their job 
to prepare and preach biblical and soul-nourishing sermons to help you get to heaven. I can't save you. And I can't make you listen to anything that I've ever said. I have no power. My job is to be faithful. The other men, their job is to be faithful, to teach the things whatsoever Christ has taught to help you get to heaven. So appreciate them. Be thankful for them. Love them. Esteem them very highly in love for the sake of the work that they are doing for you. Are you thankful? Do you love them? Do you appreciate them? Do you respect them for the sake of the work that Christ gave them to you to do? When you think of your pastors, how should you, how should you think of them? How should you consider them? From 1 Corinthians 4, Paul says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and as stewards of the mystery of God. I suppose that there's probably appreciation in your heart for the plumber who saves your house from flooding, and that would be very appropriate, and I suppose there is in your heart appreciation for the electrician who saves your house from burning down. I suppose there's appreciation in your heart for the mechanic who saves you from a breakdown on the highway, and all rightly so. But it's lamentable in our day how men who labor in the Lord's Word for the saving and sanctifying of souls are so commonly and seemingly easily underappreciated or unappreciated or disrespected. I mean, it's a cultural, it's a cultural meme to portray the Bible-preaching preacher, the Bible-preaching pastor as how? It's, it's, it's the cultural meme to portray that man as greedy, ignorant, as some kind of peddling, cartoonish villain. That's, that's the Bible-preaching minister today. Now, there were those villains in Paul's day, peddling, greedy, ignorant, there were those villains in Paul's day, but nevertheless, there were also the true and faithful and sincere pastors held in Christ's hand, given as his gift to the churches. So to view all, all ministers with an unreasonable and suspicious disrespect, it's only going to be done to the harm, not to the minister, it's going to be done to the harm of your own soul. How wise this is for Paul to relay this command. What a wise command it is to esteem them highly in love for the sake of of the work they are doing for you. And so how do you show this love? How do you show this appreciation? Well, it can be done in a variety of ways, and I've already listed a couple for you. This esteeming them highly in love can be done by praying for them. Praying that they would have the ability, praying that they would have the courage, praying that they would have the encouragement, praying that they would have the deliverance and the protection that they need. Attending, attending, attending yourself attentively, humbly, thankfully to that sermon that they've worked so hard to serve you with, taking that in. What a great joy that is to them. This is a way that you show your appreciation to them, and it's ultimately a love and appreciation that you're showing to your Savior who gave that man to you as a gift to help you. 
And there's another way, and we'll end on this. Of course, a very important way that you show your respect and your love is, that, is by how you maintain them, by how you maintain your shepherds. They have to eat. They need a place to live. They've got kids who are hungry and need a place to live. Think of this principle, and I don't know if you've ever applied the James chapter 2 principle in this way, but think about it this way, where James says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to him, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus, also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead, says James. Now, we might think of this in terms of our works with, among one another, but we ought, it's a principle I think we ought to apply with those that Christ has given to us as lights, as guides, as interpreters, as shepherds. So prayers for the Lord to provide for the shepherds needs to be married with the works and the means by which God will answer that prayer. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word of doctrine. The scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. And in Galatians 6, let him who taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Esteem your shepherds highly in love for the sake of the work that they do for you. We don't expect David to go to war at his own expense. We would be a wicked congregation to expect that David's going to plant a vineyard and not eat of its fruit. Who tends a flock, asks the Lord to us. Who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Does not the law also say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen that God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? And in 1 Corinthians 9, do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple? And those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. So pray for your ministers and attend where your ministers are that you may be served the word that Christ has taught them to teach and esteem them highly, love them, appreciate them, respect them, And that may be done in a variety of ways, but especially in the way that you share of your own good things with them is a way that you can show your love to them. And when your minister gets a paycheck, it's not so much, and this is is for a true, faithful, sincere minister, it's not so much the paycheck that brings me delight. It's the love behind it. It's the love behind it that encourages me. It's the appreciation behind it 
that strengthens me to, what's today, Sunday? Oh, yeah, Monday morning. We've got to get up again. We've got to get to work. The next sermon, the next thing we're working on. But if I know you love me and you appreciate me, uh, wow, that goes a long ways. That goes a long ways. And that's not only to my benefit, but if I'm encouraged and if I'm strengthened, Lord willing, Lord willing, it'll be to your benefit then. So pray for us, attend with us, and love us.